Hi there, it's Judd. And it seems to have happened again. The audio signal from our sister station seems to have bled into our program. I wasn't aware of it while we were recording, but there it is. It's very faint. You probably really will only notice it if you're wearing headphones. And if not, uh, you'll just barely notice it. It should not detract from your enjoyment of this conversation with one of Napa Valley's, well, biggest characters. And we're going to begin the show here as we sit down with one of our guest's biggest fans, Chef Greg Cole, as he and I and our guest, Dr. Alan Steen, sit down to sip a little wine, talk a bit, and then we'll get right into the show. Enjoy. Get ready for some Finkel fun. It's Judd's Napa Valley Show. Hello there. This is Judd Finkelstein. I'm sitting here in the Judd's Hill tasting room at the south end of Silverado Trail, and I've got a couple guys with me. I've got Chef Greg Cole of Celadon and Cole's Chop House. Hello, listeners. It's good to be here in this beautiful tasting room. And I have our featured guest in today's episode, Dr. Alan Steen. Really good morning. It's wonderful to be with two of my favorite people. And we're together here because, Chef, you sent me a note a few weeks ago saying, where's that podcast where you talk to Dr. Steen? Uh, He's a great character. I want to hear more of his story. And I said, you know what, I haven't gotten to it yet, but if you come down and do the intro, we'll get it up ASAP. So here we are. What, how did you meet this guy? What's your relationship with Dr. Steen? When I first moved to Napa in 1985, I spent two and a half years in the kitchen at Demi and Chandon. Went on to open to be the chef, manager, wine list guy, all those sort of things, of a little place on Jefferson called Pasta Prego. Your mom and dad used to bring in a young Judd That's into right. the restaurant. Love Dr. Christine used to come in. And I always, your, your family, your whole family, your, your mom, your dad, um, Alan, so interesting, such neat people. I was always amazed if you were Finkelstein, why was he Steen? Who was this sort of fancier guy who, who came in and out, who sort of arrived always wearing a suit jacket, um, who was... Art's brother, but had a different last name. Was he a brother from a different mother? How did that work? You want to explain and, it? And the oh, whole, no, no, and the, no, no, well, no, the whole story of, of of how you know an architect and a physician went on to to really start. I mean, one of this an amazing winery at sort of the beginning of what is the what I call kind of consider the new wine renaissance of the Napa Valley. At that time, things were just starting to explode, and here was this these couple brothers with different names. Who are making great wines with a with a big Irish sounding guy Ray Coruscant, I mean in the cellar and making deliveries, but a true family operation. It was a great, I mean, great wines and great times and great memories. Well, let's go about this name dichotomy to begin with. Uh, when I was very, quite young, I, I st- I'm 14 years old as a matter of fact. I started out as a professional piano player in orchestras. And I did uh, very, very good jobs. And my dad's lawyer said, uh, I see he's using the name Alan Steen. And dad said, well, sure. And he said, well, he can't do that if he's signing contracts. It's because that's not legal. So at 14 and a half years old, I turned up at a courtroom in Rock Island, Illinois. And there uh, a judge granted my desire to change my name to Finkelstein to uh, Alan Steen, and uh, which I have kept ever since. A lot of people don't know that Finkelstein, if you get the translation, means sparkling stone, and which loosely translates to the name diamond, 
So you see many people of Jewish background whose name is Diamond, but who originally was Finkelstein. Uh, it has, it's worked out for the, a lot of people ask me about that, a different name than my brother, and I always say, well, I, I'm the product of my mother's first marriage. <laughs> of course, it was her last marriage, but, but we... The first as well. Yeah, as well. So that's how that came up. And I know you've been a fan of uh, chefs cooking for a long time. We oh. talk about them often. And you yourself are a world-traveling uh, gourmet. You've taken classes in cooking around the world and a great, great entertainer and home chef, but you've always been attracted to his cooking, I know. We've, we've, we've often gone for lunches and dinners at either Celadon, um, Pasta Prego way back when, Coles. What, what attracts you to this chef? Absolute honesty and quality. I mean, you, when you go to his restaurants, you get the best. Yeah. How's well, that for an Well, that's, that's, pretty, that's pretty exciting. Um, and that's just, I mean, your story is so amazing to have gone from, you know, a, a concert-level pianist to then a career in medicine to then a career in wine marketing, all successful, all, you know, with, with a sense of style. But to, to do the things that you've done in your life, it's just, it's inspiring. It really is. I just, uh, there aren't many people who have had that many careers where they were as successful. Well, I have to tell you that uh, if you don't have fun in life, you're missing the boat. I mean, life is short, and have a good time. And I've always, I left a very, a, a very substantial practice, and a lot of my doctor friends said, you fool, what the hell are you doing? And I said, I don't want to wake up when I'm 80 years old and say, had I only given this a whirl? And I did, and luck was with us. And my brother was a sensational winemaker, as we all know. So it, it, it did work out. But um, if you don't take a few chances in life, mm-hmm. uh, you're missing a lot, I think. Right. Did, did Art, was Art already up here, and did he call you and say, come and help? Or did you guys come together as his plan? No, it was, uh, we had talked about this for a long, about doing something like right. this for a long time. My point is, uh, no, I came here about a year before my brother to find a vineyard property and so forth, and we lucked out on a very good, uh, advantageous uh, business deal, uh, and uh, things just sort of fell together. Uh, We had good advice from longtime people in the wine business. I found the Napa Valley to be so cordial and helping uh, for somebody who's coming in to compete with them in the same business. It was fabulous. And you talk about that in this episode we're about to hear. Oh, okay. Um, So I just want you to uh, know that we are going to get into it. In the meantime, we've got a good thing going here in Judd's Hill where we're sitting right now. I invite all you listeners to come visit me. I'm sitting right here amongst the beautiful verdant vines of Napa Valley at the south end of Silverado Trail. We're open daily by appointment. Visiting information is at www.juddshill.com. While you're there, you can look around, meet the family, find out about our events. Hey, put some wine in your cart. Why not? It's good, right? It's delicious. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, yeah, fellas. Absolutely. And as a listener, if you type in JNVS, stands for Judd's Napa Valley Show, in lowercase letters as the coupon code, you're going to get 15% off your entire wine order. What were those letters again, please? JNVS. And, uh, you know, you can also look at our wine club, which is right there on the website. We've got tons of fun happening, events, parties, and you get a better deal on the wine, too. So have a look at that. It's free to join. I hope that we will see you listeners here soon. Meanwhile, 
the fellas and I are going to keep talking and sipping wine here. And uh, what time do either of your restaurants open for lunch? Maybe that's where we're going to go next. Celadon opens for lunch at 11.30. That's Monday through Friday. And then both restaurants open for dinner at 5 p.m. There you go. All right. Well, we'll see you at Celadon for lunch and then we're at Cole's Chop House for dinner. Sounds like a plan. <laughs> Doctor, thanks. Thank you. Everyone's a Finkel friend on Judd's Napa Valley Show. Get ready for another heap full of fascinating things to know from witty and intriguing people on Judd's Napa Valley Show. No stale script and no rehearsing, live from a Napa studio. You may be that intriguing person on Judd's Napa Valley Show. On Judd's Napa Valley Show. Judd's Napa, Judd's Napa Valley, Judd's Napa Valley Show. And now... Live from the 1440 KVON studio in the beautiful Napa Valley, it's Judd's Napa Valley Show. I'm Lauren Mole, and here's your host, Judd Finkelstein. Good morning, good morning, Lauren Mole. It's nice to see you here today. Wait, where's Lauren? Uh, Lauren is not with us today. That was that was Lauren live on tape. I don't know what to do. I feel lost without my in-studio announcer, Lauren Mole. But where is Lauren? Well, let's find out. He sent along a pre-recorded statement. Here's, here's where Lauren is today. Hello, Napa Valley lovers. This is Lauren Mole. I will miss being with you today because I was asked by the Area for Developmental Disabilities Board to be their MC for their Employment First Conference. California's Employment First policy gives individuals with developmental disabilities opportunities for integrated, competitive employment. I am very excited about this. This will be my first ever paying MC job. Until next week. And that's Lauren Mole off doing good. He's a, he's a do-gooder and a great guy. We'll have him here next week and wish him luck with this MC gig he's got going on. Well, before we get to our very special guest, I want to mention a couple things coming up in the world of fun at Judd's Hill Winery, my family's winery, conveniently located at the south end of Silverado Trail, open daily for your wine-tasting pleasure. Come on in. We love to have locals drop in, and anyone. Well, don't drop in. Give us a ring first. We're kind of small. We want to know you're coming so we can give you the royal treatment. But anyway, we have our 21st, 21st, oh, we're, I'm, I'm selling ourselves short here. It's our 25th. 25th anniversary dinner. I can't believe it. we've been at this 25 years at Judd's Hill. This is going to be Saturday, June 14th at the City Winery, Napa's newest hotspot. That's going to be $80 inclusive. What a deal for Napa Valley. That's wine. That's dinner. That's all kinds of fun. I'll be there. I'll, I'll sing to you. I'll have surprises. There'll be multimedia presentation. It'll be a whole night of celebrating our 25th anniversary. Come join us for that. Details are on the Judd's Hill website, www.juddshill.com, and click on events. And while you're there, you'll also see that Sunday, June 29th, one of my favorite events in the Valley is coming up. It's the annual barbecue and beer battle at the Napa Valley Marriott. That benefits the Napa Valley Music Connection, uh, which is part of the Education Foundation, and that ensures that music instruction and instruments are available in our public schools Come hungry, you are going to eat a feast of barbecue 
as uh, Jonathan Bodnar of Smokeville takes on Chef Joey Ray of the Napa Valley Marriott. Both are barbecue experts. You, as the attendee, get to vote and decide in the people's choice. And while you're there, you will have beer from several craft brewers. Of course, the wine sponsor, deliciously, is Judd's Hill Winery and our Burke's Blazin Barbecue Zinfandel in honor of four-time and current Napa Valley Barbecue King Pat Burke, who has retired from competition. He'll be there. To root on everyone, but he is not competing this year. He is retired on top, but he'll be uh, he'll be able to toast you with a bit of his Burke's Blazin' Barbecue Zin. That's June 29th, and the details can also be found at judshill.com and clicking on events. Now, Lauren, would you like to introduce our guest today? Sure, Judd. <laughs> Here he is. A pioneering vintner with tales so keen. Known for his humorous sharp wit, He's a joke-telling machine, a world-traveling doctor, pianist, and master of cuisine, legendary from Sheboygan to St. Helena and points in between. Let's hear his stories and see what we can glean from getting to know our guest, the one and only Alan Steen. Alan Steen is with us today. Good morning, doctor. Good morning to you, Judd. It's good to see you. Well, it's a pleasure to be here, and I've... As I was driving over to the studio, I took a good look around, and uh, I think sometimes we have to stop and realize what a wonderful place in which we have the pleasure of living. It, the Napa Valley is fabulous. Isn't that the truth? It's wonderful. I really, I'm very lucky, and I think we are very lucky. I completely agree. I, I have never been able to take it for granted that we live here. You know, every day, it, it, it's, it's beautiful. You look out, you just can't get tired of the view. <laughs> For the most part, people are nice and grounded here. And let's let's talk about how you got here, and really how you got here is how I got here. Should we let folks in on the secret? If you want to. Are you ready to admit this on the air? Well, under duress. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to let it out of the bag, or shall I? No, you could do it. All right, this man <laughs> sitting across from me, Alan Steen, not only legendary Napa Valley character, vintner extraordinaire, He's my uncle. <laughs> He's my uncle. If it, if it hadn't been for him, um, you know, we, none of us would be here in Napa Valley today. So we're going to talk about how you got here. Now that folks know the relationship, let's get on with it. You, you did not grow up in the wine business. Not hardly. Yeah. Uh, no, uh, to tell you the truth, uh, till, till I was almost 20 years old, I, uh, I, I was used to drinking the, that sweet glurp, which, which we used for sacramental purposes. We're and, talking about Manischewitz or uh, well, that type of thing? That type of thing. And uh, I was in college around 20 years old, and I went to a party, and there they served us what was probably an oxidized bottle of Chilean Riesling in a very cute bottle. Oh. But I said to myself, golly, this you could almost drink this stuff. <laughs> and... Uh, I started getting into uh, wine and uh, and food. As a matter of fact, uh, I and a bunch of doctors in Los Angeles started the Physicians Food and Wine Society. And uh, after many years, of course, of trying to match foods and wines, mm -hmm. my point being is uh, I got really turned on to wine, and I have been a dedicated wine drinker for over 60 years. Now, it, uh, it took you until you were... In your 20s, to yes. actually taste a wine that you enjoyed. Because growing up, the your household 
you didn't drink wine. You said you just had the the glurp, as you called it, but there was no other exposure to to wines. Your folks didn't even drink, correct? Well, my suspicion is. And these are my grandparents. We're this talking is about. your your grandfather, who probably would have s- smelled a beer bottle cap when gotten dizzy. Oh really? Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, we we didn't drink a lot. However, my uh, your grandmother, my mother, uh, said I love the taste of mm. alcoholic beverages. Oh, she did. Uh, she did. She said I could very easily become a devout drinker. Oh. And I said. She said, but I don't like the uh, emotional changes which come along. She said, I love the taste, mm. but I don't like the sensory uh, changes, which was quite uh, fascinating. My, but we went back in our history. This is something you probably don't know about. I'm going to reveal a little secret. Oh, let's hear a little family history. On the maternal side of, of your family, yeah. we, they came uh, to the Dakota Territory in 1868. Your, your great-grandfather... Mm-hmm. And your grandfather was born in a sod hut in 1870. The, the farming business went bad as they were, what they call them, I can't, the government gave them these properties to, to make farm. My point being, in 1890, they left a few years before. They went to Chicago mm-hmm. and established the Napa Valley Wine Company in Chicago, Illinois, on Ashland Avenue. Wow. I have a bill in from 1890 from the Napa, or no, it's, I beg your pardon, it was the California the Cal- Wine Company. California Wine Company right. in 1890. In 1890, and they imported uh, wine-producing equipment, barrels, and Zin- Zinfandel uh, 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 by the carload, and the Italian, the French, the European people that lived in Chicago at that time came and bought tons of Zinfandel grapes, took it home, and made wine in their basements. And the, So we go back in the the wine biz wow. more, more years than you might have imagined. Like about 125 years our family's been in the wine business. <laughs> yeah, we were slow learners. <laughs> were you aware of this growing up? Did you know this history of the wine? Not until about 15 years ago when oh. your uncle, the psychiatrist, Sent me a bill, from which was signed by my grandfather from the wine company in Chicago, that, which I thought was we have been around the booze business for a pretty long time. <laughs> That's incredible, <laughs> my goodness! But yet that had no influence because you didn't know. You said until Not about fifteen all. years ago. I was entirely unaware of it till maybe ten or fifteen years at the most years ago. My my point being is I. I, I realized there was something in our blood that uh, led us to this uh, this business. You know, earlier I said we're celebrating our 25th anniversary as Judd's Hill Winery. That Our history in Napa Valley goes further back, which we're going to get to in a bit. But little did I know, it's actually 125 years that our family's been in the wine business. You, you got that right. I'm tacking that on. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say, you know, the, the, the 125 years in wine. Anyway, uh, so what... When you were growing up, what were you exposed to? I mean, obviously, these days, what I'm trying to get at is right now, you are a very sophisticated and classy man of the world. You know your wines and fine cuisine. But you're saying this did not happen in the small town of Rock Island, Illinois, as you grew up. As a matter of fact, to some degree, it did. Oh, it did. Uh, Your grandmother uh, insisted that every man should know how to make a decent meal. Okay. Towards that end, when we, when your father and myself were around five years old, she had a little little s- step stool in the kitchen, 
and we'd step up with Mama, and she would do something. Then she'd say, now you do it. And then she would say, it's right, it's right or it's wrong, and how to back out gracefully or how to fix it and so forth. And then we'd learn, uh, she was a rather remarkably remarkable cook. Mm-hmm. Nobody ever turned down a dinner uh, invitation at the house. I have to tell you that. I've heard. She I've was heard a that. marvelous, marvelous chef. You uh, said she knew the restaurateurs in Chicago as in well. In Chicago, well, uh, uh, as a matter of fact, there was a connection to the best Chinese restaurant in Chicago. Oh. And for some reason, and don't ask me how this, uh, my Uncle Stewart uh, knew the... Knew I'm, I'm going to interrupt just to ask, what, what era are we talking right now? Oh, I'm talking about the 50s, I would say. 1950s, uh, 50s, okay. 40s, 50s. Okay. Okay. Uh, he... He owned the best restaurant in Chinese cuisine in Chicago. He s- made arrangements so ma- my my mother could sit at a big, tall stool behind the chef who was working the walk, mm-hmm. and she w- would ask him what he was putting in the different dishes, and uh-huh. she, and he of course would answer in Cantonese, <laughs> and she would phonetically write down what was it in Cantonese. Really, and and. Uh, then she, after we would have our meal there, we, she would go down to the Chinese store on the first floor, though the restaurant was on the second floor. All right. And, and buy, she would take out her phonetic notes mm-hmm. and order a whole bunch of things and take it back to Rock Island, Illinois, where she made some of the most superb Chinese dinners you ever ate. Oh. So. It was really a remarkably f- fun situation. Well, that's good to know where your culinary training comes from because you do have a reputation as quite the chef and have studied I, around I, the world. But I must in honesty confess I didn't come up to your dad's uh, ability and talent. He was a remarkable cook. Well, I think you both have your had your styles, and uh, he, well, he was a great cook, and I, I credit him with uh, instilling that in me as well. I, I love cooking. Well, I've eaten some wonderful meals at your house, so uh, <laughs> I have no complaints. All right, well, thanks. Go, go ahead. Yeah, well, I want to find out. You, you came. You said you mentioned you were in Los Angeles. That's right. where you had your first wine that you really liked, a Chilean Riesling. Uh, you were there, uh, a young doctor. I beg your pardon. That goes back. No, I... I I was an old feller when I get to, got to L.A. Oh. This goes back when I was 20 years old. Oh. And, and I uh, started my practice in L.A. Uh, when I was 35. Oh, so where was that when you were 20-something that you had your Champaign, first Champaign, Urbana, Illinois. Seems appropriate. Yeah, University of Illinois. Oh, okay. So flash forward a few years. You're in Los Angeles right. doing your uh, surgical, redoing your residency there? or Yes, I did okay. my, gen- my general surgery at L.A. County Hospital. My, my father graduates from high school. He gets shipped out to Los Angeles to attend USC and be under your watch. And, and, but somehow the two of you found that you enjoyed wine and it became part of your lifestyle. How did, how did that happen? Well, I don't know. We, uh, your dad and myself, we, we uh, rented a house. And we and we we were not very wealthy at that time, so we found the cheapest way to entertain is we would do dinner parties were uh, in this house that we had rented in Echo Park, yeah. and uh, we would search out kind of cuisines to make. We would find wines, and we really got as a as a hobby and. And a lot of and a lot of friendly people used to drop in to eat, eat and drink with us. And then I started with other other doctors, this food, physicians, food and wine society. Okay. okay. So we got heavily into that scene. I, we had a lot of fun. 
Well, at what point did it turn into the hobby where you were actually making wine? Those are my some of my earliest memories is the garage in our home. Right. N- when I was very, very young, it did not ever have a car in it. It had winemaking equipment. It had a hand-cranked press. It had bubbling jugs of things. <laughs> How did that become your, your hobby? Well, because we got interested in wine, we would start to make visits uh, up here to the wine country mm-hmm. and so on. And uh, your dad said, well, look, at that doesn't look so hard. Let's give it a whirl. And he, we uh, started to make wine in Beverly Hills. <laughs> Your, that garage to which you referred. Well, let me stop because people, you say Beverly Hills, people get this idea of something. This was hard. This was Beverly Hills in zip code only. <laughs> this was in rural Benedict Canyon in the very early 70s. There were, you know, there was a chicken coop in the back. It was like the Beverly Hillbillies. There were rattlesnakes crawling around. There were coyotes. This was not, you know, down Sunset Boulevard with the mansions and the sheiks and all that. Well, but in, I was just going to mention in the garage. Yeah, okay. Uh, Wanted to paint the picture of the, the surroundings. Good. That we had equipment, you know, the same as commercial wineries, in that we had, we took old refrigerators mm-hmm. and we put inline thermostats and we did cold controlled fermentations. We had a, a, a micro filter. We had all of the things that a commercial winery had. And. Uh, you want to know our source of grapes? I do. I would wander up here to the Napa and the Alexander Valley, mm-hmm. and I had contacts in the winery business and the vineyard business, and I would go out with a very good friend of mine, a well-known uh, winemaker, and we would pick grapes from well-known vineyards and put them in 50-pound boxes and put them in, there used to be an airline called PSA. Sure, the Smiling Airplane. The Smiling PSA. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'd come down to the San Francisco airport with a truck full of these uh, boxes, and we would pay (laughs) off the the, the guy who handled boxes a couple bucks, and we'd ship him to L.A. Really? And your dad and a bunch of winemakers would come to the airport in a truck and pick up these incredible, I mean, they were really incredible grapes. In fact, we couldn't even reveal where we got the grapes because they were under contract, the, the vineyard, to certain well-known wineries. Has that statute of limitations passed? <laughs> Can we mention now who this winemaker was that guided you uh, and uh, some I, of the vineyards? I, I think I would, uh, let's, just to be on the safe side. Okay, okay. Very well-known winemaker. All right, you'll whisper it to me after, and I promise I not sure to tell will. anyone. My point being is that with those wines that were made from these superb grapes and your dad's skill, we would uh, we, we entered them in uh, competitions, got gold medals. People always, when we came to Napa Valley, they always thought we were just inexperienced wine people. Well, to the contrary, I think your dad was was making wine for at least twenty some years before we came to the Napa Valley. He was a very caught. He, he taught winemaking, as you might remember, for yes. the cellar masters and. Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. It was quite a well-known winemaker before we ever got here, and uh, we've, it, it, all, the rest is incredibly wonderful history of going in the wine business. I, I was always concerned whether we were sort of like newcomers. The Napa Valley greeted us with absolutely, it was incredible. People who are well-known winemakers called us, called me, and said, if there's anything you need or help or advice, 
Give me a buzz. Isn't that great? That, uh, that that's sums Napa, up Napa Valley. That's the Napa Valley. Yeah. Now, you were you know, a very successful plastic surgeon in Los Angeles. My father was a successful architect. The winemaking was strictly a hobby. I mean, obviously a, a, a very passionate and deep one that you guys love doing and, and were doing well at. But how did it happen that you decided, all right, you know, we're doing well in our professions, but why don't we just totally switch gears? We're leaving Los Angeles. We're going to Napa Valley. We're going to do this for real. What, what was the motivation? What was the catalyst? Okay, a little background. Let's have it. Your dad and I talked about building a winery, you know, just in our dreams, uh-huh. whatever. And one morning I was on the way to my medical office, and I was attempting to make a left-hand turn onto Hawthorne Boulevard from Palos Verdes Drive north. That's down in, in Torrance t- or somewhere. In Torrance, yeah. California. Yeah. And it took me almost eight minutes oh. to make that left-hand turn due to the incredible <laughs> amount of traffic. <laughs> okay. And something uh, must have, something snapped. Mm-hmm. And that morning I called my wife, who was a budding attorney, doing quite well as an attorney, and I said, would you like to go to the Napa Valley and make wine? <laughs> Now, she had a, 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 a practice was, was doing very well. As a matter of fact, I think she took in two other uh, lady lawyers uh, to, to join her in practice. Things were so good. And she said, if you, do you really want to go? And I said, I think I really do. And she said, okay, if you want to go, I'll go. Wow. I, I mean, Just that, like that. I mean, it was a lot of, that was a sacrifice on her part. Uh, and I think that was a sort of the, the point at which we said, well, I made the decision. And then, of course... Well, you also had three kids to consider. I had three children, uh, but, I, uh, but I, I don't think I had to twist your dad's arm very much. My next question, how did you convince my uh, folks well, who had I, a uh, small child also to... Yeah, I, I, but we, we talked it over a little bit. But I think he was leaning in this direction f- for quite some time yeah. before we came to the Napa Valley. And... It wasn't a hard sell. No. Uh, <laughs> we, we, we came here. And it's, I've always said it's one of the best things we've ever done in our lives. I've, uh, the Napa Valley has been good uh, f- for me and my family. And uh, I'm, I'm very pleased to be here. It's been d- done wonderful things in our lives. And we've had, a, we've had a very good time. Let's take a break. This is a good spot to take a break. And when we come back, let's talk about coming to Napa Valley, building what you built, Life in the Valley. Sound good? Sounds marvelous. All right. We'll we'll be right back. After a few messages, we're with Alan Steen, Vintner, character, my uncle. (laughs) Stick around. Aloha, Kane and Wahine. The Wiki Wiki Grog Shop is proud indeed to welcome back to our Sandy stage the Maikai Gents featuring the mysterious Miss Mauna Loa. Judd's Napa Valley Show. Every episode, a veritable cornucopia of Finkel fun. And now, here he is, Napa Valley's ambassador of good times and fine wines, John Finkelstein. Thank you very much, Lauren Mole. I'm here with guest Dr. Alan Steen, Vintner. I keep calling him legendary Napa character because you are people from far and wide know you as the funny doctor. Folks used to come into the tasting room uh, when you were, where's that funny doctor? 
And I'm very happy to have you here. I'm learning a little bit about my own family history. By the way, he's my uncle as well. We've mentioned that earlier, but it's worth mentioning again. You brought me a goodie. Do you mind uh, telling me what you have there? I have in my hand a... It's called, I call it the other sock. <laughs> yeah. How many times in life we see a sock that we want to put on and we pick it out of the drawer and they say, where is the other sock? This is it, huh? And I brought it. This is today. the famous other sock. So in case you need it, I've got it. Thanks. You know, my guests often bring me a goodie bag and thank you. This is delightful. Uh, if you, the listener would like to have this, I'm willing to share. You can get your hands on Judd's goodies. If you would like the other sock, uh, tweet. Get on your smartphone. If you're at your computer, go on Twitter. Use the hashtag, you know, pound sign, hashtag JNVS for Judd's Napa Valley Show. So hashtag JNVS, right? Getting my hands on Judd's goodies. And guess what? You can have the other Sock. It'll be over at Judd's Hill Winery. You'll swing by. I'll say hi. I'll, I'll, I'll lay it on you. Um, before we get back into Napa life and um, your history here in the Valley, you said you had a little bit of a radio career, too. This is not uncomfortable for you at all sitting here. Oh, not at all. Uh, many years ago, uh, when I came to Napa, I thought I might start, continue my practice of plastic surgery in Napa. Uh, uh, unfortunately, uh, the, the demand to the wine business uh, overcame that ambition. However, when I first came here, the, the station asked if I'd like to do a show called Ask Your Plastic Surgeon. This station right here? You, yes, indeed. I think so. <laughs> okay. Uh, it looks like it. Sure. My point being is I had a wonderful time, and we would ask for call-in questioning. Of course, I had it all set up by several of my friends to ask certain questions I really wish to answer. So it was a, a little bit of a, a setup deal, but it was a lot of fun, and uh, I, I enjoyed it a lot. There, the people here at, at that time when I did this little show, it was we had a. I was well accepted. I was sort of worried that that people might. Uh, in the medical profession especially, would object to my doing this. Hmm. To the contrary, uh, many of my doctor's friends stopped and congratulated me and said, you know, we really enjoy listening to what you have to say. And yeah, well, so it worked out well. And what were the types of questions you would get about fixing noses or... Oh, noses, uh, memi, uh, <laughs> the... Uh, all the various things we we did, and uh, I would I would set up leading questions because there was misapprehensions about what things the plastic surgeons do, and I thought I should correct these because they, they weren't true. Mm. So that that was somewhat a purpose of what I did. Gotcha. I had a lot of fun. Well, I hope you're having fun here. I'm having a blast having you as a guest. Before the break, we were talking about you made the decision leave Los Angeles come to Napa Valley, you convinced your wife, you convinced my family to come. Let's take it from there. Okay. Uh, so we had to have a... This is in the 1970s. Uh, 1977. Okay. Uh, we had to have a, a point that we were going to break loose from Palos Verdes and move here. I decided that we would wait, wait until after uh, my son Larry's bar mitzvah. Which we did. We, two weeks later, mm -hmm. we packed up our car and came to the Napa Valley. 
We lived north of St. Helena, up what we called Bird Hill Road, which yeah. is to the north of St. Helena. And then my wife and I then started searching around for properties uh, where we could either uh, build a winery, uh, take over another winery, mm-hmm. put in a vineyard, et cetera, et cetera. It took about almost a year and a half uh, to till we found our property uh, where Whitehall Lane Winery was built. Uh, the man who had it at that time had it on the market, uh, and, and then for some reason or other, I, I don't even remember why, he took it off the market, and then it came back on the market just as we were starting to look for property. And this is the vineyard land, about the 25 vineyard, acres of vineyard. Yeah, tw- uh, yeah almost 26. Uh, but anyhow, uh, he put it back on the market almost at the same time ah, that we were starting to look for Good timing. Well, it was a perfect location, and uh, there was a vineyard that was on the property. The vineyard, however, it was so loaded with varying diseases oh, that, that uh, <laughs> afflict grapes that the professor of, of grape pathology at Davis brought his class to see on the vineyard to see how much disease could <laughs> exist concomitantly on a, in a vineyard. Not the example you want to be. But, you know, we, we, what we did is we tore everything out, mm-hmm. and uh, we turned the soil over four feet. We put in methyl... We put visqueen on top and put yeah, methyl yeah. bromide to... You don't really sterilize the soil, but you clean up many of the pathogens which are causing trouble. Mm-hmm. And we we had some wet feet. We put in drain tile. We put a 12-acre foot irrigation frost protection lake, as you might remember. Sure, the pond. Yeah, the pond. Scene of many pond parties of my childhood. And, of course, the annual Whitehall Lane Winery half-ass bass tournament. <laughs> oh, you know something? I forgot about that. Any rate, I don't know if the current owners continue that tradition, but but go ahead. So, so well, anyway, we we got the the winery. We had. Uh, I have to remember. Uh, do mention the name of one of a dear friend, uh, uh, Gino Saponi, who was a mm. partner in ZD Winery. The Z. And 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 he has a long history as an engineer, and as a winemaker, and he was very helpful in helping us do some design work on the the winery. I think your dad learned a lot about, about wineries from Gino and, as you know, taught a course at Napa Valley College yeah. in winery design. I, My dad uh, was very proud. Several of his students now have you know successful wineries and wine brands going. But And we were very, we were very fortunate. At that time, that, that particular time, the interest rates on loans were about 17 or 18 percent. And uh, we, made wow. a, we made a decision that we wouldn't do that. We would work off our own capital. Mm. And I remember my wife, who was our comptroller, <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to buy a r- rather expensive German bottling line. It was gorgeous. <laughs> and I said, I really want it. And she said, well, we don't have the money. We, once we get set up, we can do that. I said, you know, it'll be a lot, e- it'll be a lot easier. And she said, 
I guess it's going to be harder. <laughs> <laughs> wow, spoken like a true well, money you know, person. But, well, she's, yeah. she saved us from getting in trouble. That's great. There are a lot of wineries that forgot to take that into account, those, those 17 18% loans. So Whitehall Lane Winery was built <coughs> about 1979, was completed. Right. And I think... Uh, we really got seriously into business in 1980. Uh, right. we, we very fortunate uh, to find a marvelous uh, Merlot vineyard. Uh, I think that year or the next year, I can't remember, and we won on a major uh, tasting competition, the best Merlot in America. Well, how about that? And it didn't hurt us. No, no. Uh, you know, it's difficult when you're starting a winery to go into a, a new account, and they're you know they're being bombarded daily. Oh, uh, it's a nightmare. And uh, but you say, well, I'm from Whitehall Lake. Oh, you're the ones mm. who won the best Merlot. Yes. Well, come on in. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, it was very helpful. And that made your job a little easier because you were in charge of the sales. My father took care of uh, the winemaking aspect, and you were out there pushing product. I was trying my best. Yeah. I have to say this. <laughs> I covered about 40 states, as a matter of fact, in my wow. perambulations. <laughs> also because your dad was not very fond of flying. Uh, he, no. you know, he he would come in and say, "Well, I think New York and Boston really needs a little attention." And I would, I knew what the, the outcome was going to be. I used to say, "When are you leaving?" <laughs> and he'd say, "Well, I'm not leaving, uh, but you are." <laughs> Anyhow, we were yeah. we we were very fortunate. We uh, the your your dad made wonderful wine. Our acceptance grew. From I think our original yearly, uh, the first year I think we made around three or four thousand cases. By the time we sold the winery, we were doing thirty-five, thirty-six thousand cases yeah. of wine a year. It grew quite and, big, and we had no inventory left over at the end of the year. We. Uh, it was a good business. I recall it. You know, I was very young when it was starting off, but. Uh, you guys still put me to work. You had me punching the Pinot and cleaning tanks because uh, I could fit into them. <laughs> Who knew about child labor laws? You had me working the tasting room. Is that was that legal? Who knows? But I was I would stand up on boxes of wine and greet guests and and tell them about wine when I was how old? Nine, ten, eleven? Yeah. If if you are on. if you are a I believe the law said if you are a blood relative or a member of the family that is running the winery. Is that right? Uh, you can do that even though you are under the age of whatever the age was. Cool. Uh, we'll just assume those were the laws in the early 80s. Well. But uh, I have to tell you, in retrospect, uh, uh, coming here was a very fortuitous uh, uh, thing. I mean, we had ambitious and we ambitions. We saw other people having a lot of troubles uh, for one reason or another, uh, and uh, and also again because of this financial thing I briefly alluded to, and we didn't have that. Our product sold well, mm -hmm. and we had, and the public liked us. They often came back to the winery just to schmooze with us guys. I wasn't kidding when I said I'd be in there and folks would come in. Where's the funny doctor? They, oh, I had a, they a, joke, a, a joke or two. Of course, I had that in my history. Uh, I love to tell stories. 
my and when I would start surgery, you know, the nurses t- would turn to me and say, oh, what's the joke for the day? <laughs> and I said, I don't have a joke for the day. Can we start, please? No, we're not starting until we have the joke. So I would sit around in the dressing room before getting scrubbing in, and I would say, you guys got a joke? I, I said, I can't start my case unless I have a funny story. And I asked you before we went on the air if you'd tell one of your stories today, and your response was? Uh, I, unfortunately... The kind of story that I'm really good at is not acceptable for broadcast. <laughs> Maybe some extra podcast content. <laughs> um, so Whitehall Lane, you guys built in a successful business. About 1988, you decided... Um, it had maybe gotten too big. It wasn't the fun. It had been... Um, I know you were on the road a lot. My father, uh, who enjoyed winemaking, was becoming more of a GM, not to his liking. So the decision was made to sell. Well, th- that came about... I think, uh, to some degree, uh, I wanted a hobby business for my old age. Mm. There is no such thing, Judd. Right. Uh, You're either in business or you're not in business. I'm I'm getting aware of that. It was like Topsy. It grew. It grew at at a rather alarming rate. And I had we had uh, a tiger by the tail. Mm -hmm. And uh, and. We made a decision, and your dad wanted to go to, to a more, uh, to a smaller, more, uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, more boutique boutique a winery yeah. with better control with a smaller volume. Yeah, which... Because it was getting to be a, 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 a big business. And I think we came, and also I wanted to be home with my, my family a little bit more. Of course. I, two, two weeks out of every month, I was usually... Uh, in an airplane flying here or there. Uh. Well, I decided maybe I, I, I want to change my life around. So a decision was made to sell, and uh, uh, I think everybody in, in balance was, was quite happy about all of this. Yeah, you know, it allowed my folks to start Judd's Hill, which is now, you know, in its 25th year. And you, in your happy retirement, quote, unquote, have been making a name for yourself in the Valley being very community-minded. I mean, you're on the board of the Napa Valley Youth Symphony, uh, Music in the Vineyard, countless other charitable organizations. Do you want to speak? we got about a minute or so. You want to talk about that? Well, I really don't want to bore everybody, but uh, I feel a responsibility I have always to, to my fellow man. And I think uh, I've been lucky in my life. Things have worked out well, but I, felt I had to give back in some Organizations which are helping people who have been less fortunate. I think that sort of summarizes what I wanted to do. And well, on behalf of the community, I say thank you. And thank you. I want to thank you, but even um, maybe more importantly, maybe not more importantly, but uh, primarily that traffic that day in Torrance, California, for not letting you get onto um, the street for eight minutes. Because without that traffic that day, I wouldn't be sitting here. You wouldn't be sitting here. Who knows where we'd be? And we've created, I think, a pretty nice life here in Napa Valley. Little-known events often change the lives of men, you know. <laughs> it's, it's, it's great. So thank you very much for being that forward thinking. Uh, I do have another question I have to ask you before we go. And I'm surprised. You know, I've known you pretty much my whole life, um, and I don't know the answer to this, and I'm dying to find out. Do you go nuts for donuts? <laughs> Yeah, my gum. 
Oh, my goodness gracious. Okay, so there you are. There's a nice selection of donuts. We've got a maple old-fashioned, a buttermilk nub, a pink sprinkle, a chocolate race. Pick one of those donuts, if you would. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Grab one of those. Uh, the uh, maple old-fashioned. Lauren, maple. if you were here, you would be going nuts right now. That I'd say over 90%. Of our guests go for the maple old fashioned. So you're nibbling on this maple old fashioned donut on this beautiful Napa Valley sunny morning, and you are thinking to yourself because you are a man of the world. Okay. <laughs> where, and we didn't even talk about your world travels. I mean, it's nuts. But um, where would you be sitting in the ideal moment, um, assuming it's not here in this studio, with that maple donut? Where are you sitting, and what are you sipping with it? What am I sipping? Yeah, sipping. Oh, uh, my, um, uh, I love mochas. Okay, a mocha. And where are you sitting? I'm sitting in the restaurant of Jenny Grossinger's Resort in the Catskills, enjoying the uh, being in the home where Jewish uh, Catskill comedy was born and developed. It sounds good to me. Now it's time to play everyone's favorite party game here on Judd's Napa Valley Show. It's our Mad Libs fill-in-the-blank style game. Are you ready, Doctor? I'm tr- We've trying got. We're going to go quickly. I, I, I feel this is going to be a good one. The first thing I need is a decade, any decade in history. I, uh, the decade that I would have loved to live was between 1910 and 19... 19- 20, probably in the early parts, in the in the middle of Paris, a plein de Paris. Okay, very good. A profession. This could be any profession. Uh, I think I would love. I would like to be a studio musician in Hollywood. Oh, okay. <laughs> How about another profession? Uh, well, uh, I would like to be a harp tuner. Harp tuner. Because I had that experience as a child. I need a geographic location. A geographic. I didn't know that about you as a harp tuner. But a geographic. Uh, uh, well, I would. Where would I like to live? In the the penthouse of the Trump Towers of New York. Okay. Another geographic location. I guess in Iowa City, Iowa. <laughs> Iowa City. <laughs> I was just there. Okay. Uh, an adjective. Smooth. Ooh, smooth. Another adjective? Um, Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll try to spell that. Um, finally, a plural noun. Women. Ooh, okay, I know where you're coming from. Here we go, Dr. Alan Steen. This is a bit of biographical information about you, which you have just now rewritten via this game. Are you ready to hear it? Go right ahead. All right. Here it is. Dr. Alan Steen has the well-deserved reputation as a great character and valued community member here in Napa Valley. Having grown up during the during the 1910 to 1920s in Paris, France, <laughs> that's maybe a little before your time, but uh, he learned to create his own paths in life and worked as a professional studio musician and served in the U.S. Army as a harp tuner <laughs> before heading out to attend medical school. Once he discovered the world of wine, there was no looking back, and Napa Valley has been his home for almost 40 years. Now enjoying retirement, he continues to be a goodwill ambassador of Napa Valley in his nearly constant world travels that have taken him to far-flung and exotic locales such as the penthouse at the Trump Tower, New York City, (laughs) and Iowa City, Iowa, (laughs) Um, among others. Many have credited 
this smooth and supercalifragilisticexpialidocious man for inspiring their love of wine and women. <laughs> Dr. Allenstein, thank you very much, Hi. Uncle, for joining. And uh, we will catch you real soon. And we'll see you next time on Judd's Napa Valley Show. This is Lauren Mole speaking for Judd's Napa Valley Show, a Gil Lamar production. Judd's Napa Valley Show.